They say the world could be hard, cruel, and ugly. Trust me, it gets worse if you're hungry and thirst. Doesn't push you from position, last place to first. Can't build a foundation without having feet in the dirt. So I put in the work, grind harder than most. I don't chase accolades of the living, I'm facing a ghost. That's what makes me the GOAT. Depending on who you ask, my brother, whatever task. Got it covered like a mask, guaranteed they can't see me at the open run. Cause I cook competitors until they look well done. Don't act like you don't know where I held from. I had to climb about the trenches, sit on benches till my time had come. Don't be mad at the player, be mad at the game. Sneak this in the hating, that's a flag on the play. Me falling off, huh? That'll be the day I'm like, bolt in the race, leave the track, flambe, it's the open run. There used to be this show on back in the 60s called Green Acres. Now, I'm not that old. I wasn't born then. But, like, it was, you know, the story of the city mouse versus the country mouse. Living in downtown Toronto is vastly different than living in the suburbs or living in a rural area of... And it was odd when I first moved out of the city. I was in a place that was super quiet during the night, and it messed with me. You know, you're used to hearing police sirens and garbage trucks. And you come someplace and it's like super quiet. You hear crickets, you hear like little animals scurrying about. It's different. And I don't know if it's dumb to be afraid of the silence, to fear the quiet. But sometimes I do, unless I'm asleep. I won't even say fear, which is odd. You would want some calm. You would want some quiet. It's almost like talking about success. People aren't necessarily afraid of failure because many expect to fail. That's why we say things like, oh, it's too good to be true, or all good things must come to an end. And then I ask a one-word question that is generally not answered, and that's why. Most people are not afraid of failure because they expect it. What people really fear is success because they've never seen it. Fear the quiet, that unknown. But what is known and what you should know is that you're now listening to the podcast where basketball and life are one. It is The Open Run with Will Strickland. That would be me. The Open Run with Will Strickland is brought to you by the fine folks at One Neighborhood. One Neighborhood, coming to a neighborhood near you. I can be found across these rough interweb streets at W underscore Strickland at the number one on Twitter. Will Strickland and the number one on IG and across all streaming platforms where podcasts can be found. But right now exclusively at anchor.fm. It's Halloween. I got guys out here cosplaying actual players. But if you had to dress up like your favorite NBA player, who would that be? I'm curious. And in what situation? Not just to put on the uniform, but like, give me a situation, circumstance, you would wear that uniform and why you wore that uniform on that particular day. I'm sure that many, a fan of St. Michael Jeffrey of Wilmington would never wear a Washington Wizard jersey because it never happened, right? Anyway. Shouts out to the great Brittany Griner, the future Hall of Famer, received the Community Assist Award from WNBA Cares for her work in looking to get illegally detained foreign nationals freed from places like Russia where she was. She's found a cause and a purpose outside of the game that helps to fortify her. I guess facing her fear is the way she gets over that fear. So salute to BG. And shouts out to the big man Yao Ming. He was like one of those guys that had that Wimbenyama-like hype coming into the league when he got here because no one had seen a guy that big, that skilled, who's going to challenge guys like Shaquille Rashawn O'Neal. And it was something to see a guy seven foot six with mobility, you could shoot, but this is different. 
He said recently in a meeting with Adam Silver and the NBA that the relationship between the United States and China has cooled down a bit since the issues with Daryl Morey. I don't know why he's in the middle of everything. Or at least what Daryl Morey said. Yao says that China's always first class for the NBA players who want to come there. And there will be a lot of guys probably going over there because they'll be priced out. Speaking of being open to NBA players and not worried about competition. O'Shea Jackson, probably not having a good day. The artist now known as Ice Cube, who runs the Big Three League, has the Department of Justice investigating the NBA for antitrust and anti-competition violations and breaches against the Big Three, who Cube has alleged have tried to sabotage his league. That's why Jalen Brown going over there to play a game to kind of amplify what's going on with Cube and the former NBA players who are playing there. I don't know why the NBA would not embrace the Big Three. You have Hall of Fame players over there coaching from Rick Barry to George Garvin and Gary Payton and even Julius Winfield Irving II. And yet, this is going on. Is Cube snitching? I can't believe he went to the pork chop squad and was like, yo, these dudes are trying to take my stuff. It's a new Cube and a new day. Speaking of new days, why are people so worried about Dwight Howard and his sexuality? I don't get why people spend so much time meet peeping and trying to worry about where people are putting their stuff. Like he said in this video, whether he's gay or not is irrelevant. He should have been top 75. I don't know if he's the first battle Hall of Famer, but he's definitely a Hall of Famer. And now, outside of his antics, and we people say, oh, I saw this in the past back when he grabbed his teammates nuts on the bench one time. Yeah, he did. And maybe he was. I don't know if that stopped his production or why he had beef with Kobe Bean. Bless the dead. It might have been partially because Dwight Howard didn't give the best effort on the court. So now when he's asking the courts to dismiss a sexual assault charge against him, where a man alleged, and Dwight has confirmed this, that the man came to his home, they allegedly had consensual sex, the man didn't like what happened, the statute of limitations, the guy waited a couple of years to file this charge, it's a whole bunch of stuff. But really what people are focusing on is not the legalities of this, but the, the sensationalism of it. But here's this guy. Highly visible basketball player, dunk champion the whole nine. NBA champion with the Lakers in 2020. And probably the only guy in the league who's not in the league who can actually defend Nikola Jokic and make him uncomfortable on the court, which is odd, as he's pushing 40 himself. But why do people care so much? I don't. Whatever the case is, I'm sure it'll get solved soon. And people will spend their time making jokes about Dwight Howard but somebody's going to be calling him to play on a Western Conference team at some point. And of course, that'll be a part of his distraction, allegedly. But somebody's going there. So I guess since we're talking about distractions, James Edward Harden Jr. returned on his Marshawn Lynch program. Maybe it's cosplay Marshawn. I'm only here just so I don't get fined. He doesn't want to lose his money. He got $18.5 million up front as part of his contract deal July 1st. No one wants to give back money they already got. James Harden is one of those people, no matter how much money he has. He came back after a 10-day absence. It was alleged that he was taking care of his mother. It was alleged that he had another personal problem. When he showed up, tried to get on the plane with the rest of the players. They wouldn't let him get on the plane. They said, you need to ramp up and get in shape, game shape, get ready for the, these next couple of games. He's on the bench now, showing that he's committed to the team, at the very least, because they didn't do anything to him. Joel Embiid is playing MVP level again. Tyrese Maxey's proven this point. He hadn't played in a game this year so far where he hadn't scored 25 points. That's making up for James Harden. 
Assist-wise, no, you don't have the same thing, but maybe it's a different team. And the more they win, the less important James Harden becomes to them. You never know. What I do know is that on November 4th, 2008, history was made in Canada. On television, as three black men hosted, produced, and directed a primetime television show that was not clowning or doing the perp walk with the police commissioner. It's called Court Surfing. It was hosted by Raptors and Arena announcer Mark Strong, Sportsnet and NBA TV Canada commentator Sherman Hamilton, former national team player, and yours truly, Wall Street on Ball Street. It also happened to be the day that Barack Hussein Obama became the first black man to hold the office of President of the United States of America. But how did we get there? Well, at least I can tell you my story because I think that they had Strong and Sherman already locked in for those positions. I came by it because somebody tried to utilize my intellectual property without my express written permission. I'll try to make a long story short. Playing basketball at the court, dominating as I normally do. And these guys come down from the sports network in Toronto. They start shooting footage. I say, hey man, if you don't have a waiver, don't put me on anything you're shooting. They're like, what do you know about a waiver? I said, what do you know about Toronto Western Hospital? You want to use up all your Ontario health insurance program in one day? Stop playing. And those guys at the picnic tables are those who are comfortable on the other side of the law. You might want to make sure you go and talk to them and let them know what you're doing before you leave out of here with more than just your feelings hurt. Just keep it at a buck. That's how it is. So I leave town, go back home to New York, come back. Somebody says, yo. The commercial was hot, so I'm like, what? I didn't shoot a commercial? What are you talking about? They take me inside the community center next to the court. They show me the commercial on the internet. I start laughing, but I'm also thinking. I go up to the network and I say, I need to see the guys who are in charge, and I'm not leaving until I do because I'm suing someone. I come from the most litigious country in the world. We sue for everything. That's why Judge Judy has a job. Judge Mathis has a job. They bring these people out. We have a conversation. I tell them, look. Um, you guys breached my contract. I have it right here. I need to see somebody about compensation. They said, well, will you take this? I said, no, I will take this plus residuals for my commercial since I wasn't involved. And the decision to have me as a part of the commercial, they said, well, they don't give residuals in Canada. It's the first time for everything. So not only did I get that, they also offered me a slot on the TV show. I said, oh, I already wrote one. Because when you stay ready, you ain't got to get ready. So all the elements you saw in the show the first night we went out there, the fantasy basketball thing called Ball Street on Wall Street, the thing that I did on sneaker culture and technology around the game, I wrote that in there. And also the finisher, which was, if you remember the, the talk show, if you want to call it that, Jerry Springer and his final thought, like he was wrapping up all this ridiculousness that was going on in his show, some sort of thought about the psychology behind why people did things. So I put all that in this show and they were like, okay, we'll include this and we just want to pay you as talent. And I'm like, no, no, no. You can pay me as a producer, as a writer and as talent. I had a contract. They breached it. So I was pretty much getting what I wanted. But if you don't understand your worth, you'll always give someone else a discount as a result. I couldn't do that. Through the first show, the first show just so happens to be on November 4th, 2008, when Barack Obama wins. And it's a different vibe. And so I wrote a thing for the finisher where it said for the first time in television history, as I said earlier, and then, you know, Barack Obama, and sent it into my producer so that they could put it in the teleprompter and I could read it on air. Someone told me, 
oh, well, this is too political. Well, next week is Remembrance Day. They call it Veterans Day in the United States. And we're all wearing these red poppies. This is what you do in Canada. To remember the soldiers who lost their lives during this conflict. And I'm putting it in my chest that when they told me, oh, it's too political, because I had Barack Obama and former son's guard, Kevin Johnson, had become the first black mayor of Sacramento, California. I pointed to Poppy when they said it's too political. They said, you need to put more basketball in it. The only thing I changed was Barack Obama's putting a basketball quota up at the White House. And I put it in, and when I go to read it during the show, the teleprompter goes off. But I had written it, so went from memory and got it done. They called me upstairs again. Like, oh, we have to think about some of these segments. They weren't fearing the quiet. They're fearing the noise. Like my man Flavor Flav made in Milwaukee singing the national anthem. And guess what? Eh, he got a solid C-plus from me. Wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. It's only going to get greater on the other side of this when you come back for more of The Open Run with Will Strickland. So we'll see you soon. Flavor Flav! Back giving you more of what you asked for. It's the open run with Will Strickland in conversation with you, the listener, and with myself because it's cathartic. That's what we do. And what is also cathartic is a former head coach of the Toronto Raptors and a former assistant coach on that same coach's bench facing off against each other for the first time. And they're both doctors. I did not know that about Nick Nurse and Adrian Griffin. Nick Nurse, now the head coach of the Philadelphia 76ers, and Adrian Griffin overseeing the Milwaukee Bucks. So it was the doctor face-off. It was Dr. Evil, because a lot of people in Toronto believe in Nick Nurse's evil. I wonder if he kept his head coaching job for Canada basketball, now that he's no longer with the organization above the 49th parallel. I don't know. I need to look into that. At any rate, there's a big Nick Nurse tribute in Toronto, his first time coming back, the 76ers faced off against the Raptors. And watching the Raptors choke off a game against the Sixers that they were winning. I guess it's a fitting tribute. And we've seen this before with, in Toronto, whether it be the hashtag he who shan't be named, screaming on the girlfriend, then girlfriend at the time of Christopher Weston Bosch's future teammate, who was chirping at the King and... He made sure to close them out properly. The same thing happened with a Cleveland Cavaliers fan. This time chirping at Tyrese Halliburton, the all-star and Team USA member who plays for the Indiana Pacers. Was having a decent game. Certainly not up to the caliber that Tyrese Halliburton is starting to set for himself. But that chirping fan was like, you suck. Halliburton came back, killed him three three three-pointers in a row. In like 57 seconds, ended up with 21 points, 8 rebounds, 13 assists. Then screamed back to the fan, this is your fault. You did this. I like that kind of stuff. What motivates an NBA player this early in the season? Well, it's the new season. It's not even November yet. You don't have the right to fall into malaise. But the in-season tournament should stop that as well because there's incentive, money-wise, and also to place yourself in contention for a playoff spot. Not a bad deal. Let's stay in Indiana with Rick Carlisle, who's the wizard. I've been calling him that since he was in Dallas. He's a crotchety old guy now. But he seems to like these young guys who are playing on this team. I think Bruce Brown coming over with the championship experience. Rick Carlisle himself on the 86 Boston Celtic team. 
Well, he's on the bench, but he still he still got a ring. Contributed in practice. It is what it is. Got a contract extension there in Indiana to be there for a couple more years. So shout out to him and Ben Matherin and all the guys there in Indiana. They're going to be a surprise team right now. They are undefeated. And the NBA now, since we're going to stick in Indianapolis, the All-Star game being there that was canceled in 2021. I remember we were going to have full court 21 in 21 at the All-Star weekend. We had it all planned out. Pandemic happened. No bueno. Now we're here in the 2024 game. We'll be there in Indianapolis, Naptown. And they're going to go back to the East versus West format after a couple of years of doing it like pickup playground basketball with the two leading vote-getters end up being the captains of the team and getting to choose the players they wanted in a draft. The hashtag won, I think, every time he was the captain of his squad. Maybe that format doesn't make the, the game as competitive as a East-West game where you're you know, trying to defend the sanctity and the quality of the Western Conference style of play versus the Eastern Conference style of play. Could be a reason for that. Adam Silver's flipped it back. Let me know what you think. Hit me up on my social media. I'm not hard to find. I'm still in Indy as one neighborhood in Adidas. Keep my fingers crossed on this one. The logo and the big O. Why? Well, Oscar Robertson is from Indianapolis. And I think I talked about this a little bit. We're planning on having this big All-Star Weekend event there where we celebrate the 55th anniversary of the Shelto. Adidas Superstar. Best known because of Run DMC, the first... Commercially successful rappers. They were the first ones to get a major endorsement like Adidas way back in the 80s. And back in the 60s, the first time that anyone wore leather sneakers in an NBA game was a 1969 All-Star game, Jerry West and Oscar Robertson. So they kind of put a bow on this thing. It's the 55th anniversary of the superstar in Indianapolis. While we still have these guys walking around and doing their thing and being, you know, the logo and the big O. Let's make it happen. So, fingers crossed, put out some good energy for me. Just like we put out good energy for Miles Garrett, the all-pro defensive end. He's definitely a Hall of Famer. From the Cleveland Browns, staying loyal to the soil and becoming a minority owner. Dan Gilbert opening up the books, putting Miles Garrett on. So, shouts out to Miles. And I don't know if that brings any extra value to the team, but... Forbes just put out the NBA valuation list. Most valuable franchises in the league. I'll give you the top three for sure. At number one, the Gold State Warriors. $7.7 billion they're evaluated at right now. Will that go down in the event that Wardell Stephen Curry is gone? Or Clay Alexander Thompson, who's really having a hard time with his contract negotiations. They are in an impasse. They want to see how he does this season. Clay is moving up there in age as well. I understand it from a business standpoint, but again, this is where people fail to realize there's no loyalty in sports business. It's a business. And still, big Asian fan base, so they have a global fan base for sure. Steph goes over to China every year. Clay goes to China every year. He's with Anta. Steph is with Under Armour. They do a bunch of stuff in clinics and stuff, so you open up the world to... The Warriors, and they're also four-time champions. They've won four championships in the last nine years. It's nothing to sneeze at, something to recognize. And number two, the New York Knickerbockers. It's New York. It's the Knicks, one of the original teams in the league. I understand it. And, of course, when you flip the coast, the Los Angeles Lakers. 
The Knicks being at $6.6 billion. The Lakers at $6.4 billion. And whose valuation went up as well? Sort of. And, and being associated with someone like Wardell Stephen Curry II is the Aaron Fox, who was the first. I don't know if we've ever had a situation where two players who are currently in the league have signed and worked with each other. We had Carmelo being the first Jordan brand athlete, but Jordan was retired by then. Here's Steph Curry with Under Armour signing De'Aaron Fox and De'Aaron Fox saying, I'm going to bust your ass in your own shoes. And their first game of the season, Steph Curry dropped 41 on him. De'Aaron Fox didn't slack off, though. He scored 39, even though the Warriors won. Looking forward to this budding rivalry in the West. I like that the Kings are up there competing. We'll talk about them more in the Power 10. We'll talk about more of what you need as we proceed here on the podcast where basketball and life are one. So come back for more of The Open Run with Will Strickland on the other side of this. Listening to the sounds of the open run with Will Strickland, where the lecture is conducted from the mic into the speaker in conversation with you, the listener, and with me because it's cathartic. And let's get into some NCAA because the season is right around the corner. November's upon us. Practice is over. March. Do they still do Midnight Madness? I remember that winning the dunk contest a couple of times at Rice. I was nice in line back in the day. They'll tell you. I want to send love, light, and blessings to the family and loved ones of Tasha Butts, the Georgetown University women's basketball coach, passing away from complications due to breast cancer. So rest in power to Tasha Butts. And shouts out to Dove and Nike and hopefully Full Court 21 Canada for their body confident initiative that they're doing right now to highlight and amplify why young girls tend to let go of sport at a certain age. And most of it comes from body shaming and and body confidence issues. And we want to make sure that we are involved in that and we can amplify that same message and let the young ladies who want to play this game know that building that body confidence in themselves and understanding that that's only a gateway to confidence in other things as well. We want to be a part of that. So shouts out to Dove and Nike. But no shouts out to the NIT or the NCAA. The NIT was pretty much, back in the day, the NCAA tournament. Now it's a secondary tournament. It's the tournament for those who couldn't make the tournament. Exciting nonetheless. Doesn't get as much burn, obviously, as the NCAA tournament does. But there's some history to it. The National Invitational Tournament wants to restore some of that luster. And the way you do that is not messing up the formula that has worked for it so many years. When you see teams like UAB and North Texas winning, they're not ratings bonanzas. But now the NCAA wants to take over and fight its toothless fight to make sure that regardless of your record, they're going to have 12 teams in the NIT from the power conferences. So you're talking about Big Ten, Big East, Pac-12, Big 12, obviously the ACC, SEC, they're going to be there. But the fact that they've messed up something that traditionally gives these teams that have had stellar seasons but just didn't make the cut because of strength of schedule or mid-major conferences they played in that Again, the committee is not recognizing as quality teams. They have an opportunity in the NIT. Now that opportunity has been cut based on this new mandate by the NCAA to have their power. Again, this is a money grab. We know what this is. 
And it's sad to see, but hopefully the NIT can make some waves, not based on controversy, but on actual play. Shout out to the preseason All-America team on the women's side, because that's the most exciting side anyway, no? There are some exciting games in the men's tournament, but I guarantee you they didn't outweigh what was happening with Caitlin Clark and Angel Reese, two of the preseason All-Americas on this squad. As a matter of fact, Clark is the only unanimous All-America on this preseason list. Angel Reese missed out on being unanimous by one vote. I wonder who that was and where they're from. Let's investigate at some point. But shouts out to Clark and Angel Reese and all the players who are on that preseason, including Paige Beckers coming back from multiple injuries to reclaim her spot on the perch. But Caitlin Clark has the game on a chokehold right now, and we'll talk about how they're actually even projecting a mock draft for the WNBA next year where Paige Beckers is not number one. Let's look at the top 25, the preseason top 25 at the top. The champions, Kim Mulkey's LSU Tigers. And number two, Gina Oriema's UConn Huskies coming back with AZ Fudd, Aaliyah Edwards looking like a first-round draft pick in the WNBA, and of course, Paige Beckers. And number three, the Iowa Hawkeyes led by Caitlin Clark. They're going to miss Monica Susano down low, but Caitlin Clark puts up math, science, and some chemistry as well on that Iowa squad. So they're at number three. And number four, the UCLA Bruins. And at number five, the Utah Utes. Led by Pac-12 Player of the Year, Alyssa Pilly. Just outside the top five is the University of South Carolina, led by Coach Dawn, Dawn Staley, who is going with a whole new squad. All of her seniors graduated. It's going to have Carmilla Cardozo, who's in the middle there. But outside of that, she's basically starting from scratch there at number six, which is now breaking a 38-week stretch where they were number one in the country. Only second to the 51-week stretch that UConn was at number one on that list. And it's the first time they've been in the top 10 since 2014, which is something similar to, well, I can't call that similar, less than 10 years compared to 30 years of UConn being in the top 10 since 1994. That's absurd. As I move on to the mock draft for the WNBA, because it's never too early to project what could happen and then find out there's nowhere close to what will happen. At number one, the Indiana Fever, already with Rookie of the Year, Aaliyah Boston on the squad. Maybe looking at Caitlin Clark coming in there. Of course, it's in the Midwest, so she's going to draw. And again, back in the day, the NBA used to have a territorial draft. I can almost assure you that if Caitlin Clark is coming out and the Fever have the number one pick, they're picking Caitlin Clark. Shooting, passing, dribbling, she can play. Period. The Phoenix Mercury would have the number two pick, and that's why I see Paige Becker's going. Diana Taurasi, Brittany Griner, an older team. There's definitely not going to be a Skylar Dickens-Smith, Skylar Dickens, coming back to the Valley of the Sun. No matter what Matt Ishbia says and what kind of money he has, she's out of there. So bringing in a shiny new star like a Paige Beckers to reinvigorate that squad, pretty good pick. And number three, the Los Angeles Sparks. Cameron Wink, Stanford University. They've had success with young ladies from Stanford. As a matter of fact, they have two of them on their squad by the name of the Aguimake sisters, including Neka Aguimake, who's still playing at a high level as a longtime veteran of the WNBA. Cameron Wink, adding on to the legend. At number four, the Seattle Storm. Now, for some odd reason, I haven't said Angel Reese. I saw a mock draft where I had Carmela Cardoza from University of South Carolina on there. I'm like, so you're going to put her ahead of someone who averaged 24 points and 15 rebounds? 
And to say that she doesn't have range, like you don't learn how to improve your game as a professional. But okay. I would say Angel Reese here, they had Cardoso. I thought it was a diss on purpose and I understood why. At any rate, even the next pick, Aaliyah Edwards, going to Dallas Wings. Now, she's a winner. Don't get me wrong. With Satu Sabli and Arika Ngambale, and they have a bunch of bigs down low already. I guess more size wouldn't hurt, but why wouldn't you pick a young lady who is the national champion and almost unanimous preseason All-America? Again, I understand why it's happening. If you have an issue, you can speak to me on it. Let's talk about these disruptors down there at Overtime Elite in Atlanta are now doing a thing called Overtime Select for the ladies. An 18 four-week league, similar to what my homegirl and friend of the program, he says, doing up here in Toronto. I don't know if they get paid. I think they get paid, maybe. But the fact that they have this mentorship system in place for these young high school players who are going to go to Overtime Select and play in this league not only will they have these mentors like a Brianna Stewart, but they'll also have a Paige Beckers. They'll have a Queen of the Court game. I love that part. We should put full court 21 in there. 100% on a shorter court, of course. A three-point shootout. And they have the season with playoffs. And the women's game is growing by leaps and bounds. I think there's another step in that direction. With everything that I want to say about the NCAA, I don't want to spend time boring you to death on that. I love stuff like this from Overtime Select. So congratulations and salute. I'll be following that for sure. What I will also be following is the trial of Mikey Williams, a rising young basketball star whose star is falling as a result. Could be going to jail for 30 years. This trial starts on December 14th. He's probably going to catch some of those years and never play professional basketball, even college basketball. But who's going to play and who's going to stay? The guy who dished off the pass to... Jerome Lane. Most of you don't know who Jerome Lane is, but Bill Raftery, longtime CBS commentator for March Madness, in a legendary voice on the microphone in this game with his center name Jerome. Jerome Lane playing for the Pitt Panthers at the time. I think it was 34 years ago this past week. We made that dunk and broke the backboard. The big deal in college basketball. The guy who passed him the ball was a man by the name of Sean Miller the former Arizona coach, and now back at Xavier where he got his start getting a contract extension. One of those Teflon guys, he's on the phone. Recorded, saying give $100,000 to DeAndre Ayton. Some guys can fail up in this life. I couldn't say that the, the preseason All-America squad on the men's side is failing up, but is there any NBA talent in this group? I didn't really notice it, to tell you the truth. Maybe. Hunter Dickinson, who transferred from the University of Michigan to Kansas because they gave him a bunch of NIL money. Congratulations. He's on the cusp, and with the game the way it's being played today, he could be another Demonis Sabonis type guy who plays in the league. They have a lot of similarities in their game, for sure. Unanimous All-American pick, Zach Eady from Purdue. Don't know. No, he's Canadian. I see China or Turkey in this future. Just saying. I don't think he has the mobility to play in today's NBA game. But again, I could be proven wrong. From Marquette, I don't know how Tyler Kolek ended up being the Big East Player of the Year, but he was, and now he's a preseason All-America without the tools that he's going to have. Oh, Max Prosper is not there anymore. I know Shaka Smart is a really good coach, but I can't see it. G League, here he comes. Amando Bacot down there at University of North Carolina, he might get a shot. 
He's more of an Andre Drummond type dude who gets you a double-double. But is he going to start in the NBA? I doubt it. And Kyle Filipowski from the Duke Blue Devils. Now, I still have this argument about Duke Blue Devils and who's going to be the best Dukie whoever came out of Durham, North Carolina. Some say Grant Henry Hill. I can see that. Some say Kyrie Andrew Irving. I can see that too. Now, these other guys, not Zion, not R.J. Barrett, I, they haven't reached any heights, but they're just still writing their chapters. So I'm not going to knock those guys. But who's the best Duke player to ever play in the game? I don't know. Could it be the potential number one draft pick of the 2024 NBA draft and Cooper Flag, who chose the Brotherhood over going to stores Connecticut and playing for the UConn Huskies with Danny Hurley? He's definitely a one-and-done guy. John Shire is doing a good job trying to keep up the legacy of Coach K making his own legacy by getting a pick like this. I think just the history and the, the prestige of going to Duke, you know you're going to be on national TV. You're going to have an opportunity to make a lot of NIL money for sure. And so Cooper Flag on his way to being the number one draft pick and maybe, just maybe, helping to lead the Duke Blue Devils to a national... No, I'm not going to say that. But the number one pick to give you the goods on this game is right here on the open run with Will Strickland. So come back for more on the other side of this because it's not how we start, it's how we finish, and we finish strong. It's now winning time on the open run with Will Strickland. Thank you all always a great time when we talk this thing about us called basketball and with that being said it is now time for the news views and truths that you choose on the nba and beyond shout out to i'm gonna say this right hopefully i get it right ente huang the south korean who left his home country in 2020 to pursue being an nba referee is now an nba referee live your dreams my guy live your dreams and also shouts out to shay flores the first transgender, non-binary person to ever be a referee in any major sport is also in the NBA. So, shouts out to both of them. And shout out to Irvin Magic Johnson for making the Forbes list. He's the fourth billionaire athlete ever behind St. Michael Jeffrey of Wilmington, Eldrick Woods, the Cavalier Asian, and also the hashtag he who shan't be named. Magic's valuation is at $1.2 billion. So, shout out to the GOAT of the NBA until further notice. If you have a question about that, you know where to hit me up. I'm easy to find. Looking around the league, the first week of this season has been amazing. Some great performances by guys that most people expect would have great performances and have a lot to prove, like Luka Lamar, that's with two R's, Doncic. Had 49 the other day. He hit three three-pointers in a row, including one that he hit a hook shot from three with defense on him off the backboard. I'm like, that's when you know you're flaming hot. He had 49 points, but as we do, because we give commentary on these games, former number one pick in the draft, Kenyon Martin. I think it was a 2000 draft. He was the number one pick, if I'm not mistaken. Taken by the New Jersey Nets for the, the Clippers, Kenyon Martin Jr.'s father. Had some words about Luka Lamar. Said that he wasn't even the best player on his team, much less than one of the top four players in the league. And I'm like, oh, okay. This assessment process is something. Says Kyrie's better. Kyrie never led a team to the Western Conference Finals. Kyrie never beat one of the top teams in, in the West to make it that far. But somehow, Kenyon Martin, for whatever his reasons, believes that Kyrie is better. Okie dokie, champ. Okie dokie. You know who thinks somebody's better? 
Yana Sina Ugo Laterrence who has the hashtag as his goat over one St. Michael Jeffrey of Wilmington. That argument will go on forever. Some people say, oh, it's just a professional courtesy. That's what he sees. Here's a guy who might have a better insight on top-tier players. He's the first battle Hall of Famer in his future. It's there. It's done. It's cemented already. He's barely 28, 29 years old. And it's cemented also that he stays in Milwaukee, at least for the next three years, and $186 million. I guess getting Dame Lillard in there as an insurance policy helped Giannis make his decision this year, as opposed to waiting until the summer. A bunch of anxiety just left out the entire state of Wisconsin. Now, teams who are tooling up, trying to save cap space, and get rid of pieces and, and parts or get them together, expiring contracts and the like, draft picks and the like, to try and lure Giannis into a place like maybe even a Toronto or somewhere down south like Miami. I have to rethink their thinking and repurpose those dollars for free agency next year because he's going to be in Milwaukee for the time being with his partner, the Dame Dollar debut. 39 points, one of the top debuts in NBA history with a new team. And Giannis even said, and I think this can be called professional courtesy, that this is Dame's team. But what people fail to understand, and that is just he knows for the first three quarters, it's going to be him pushing the envelope so that Dame, one of the top closers in the league, one of the top fourth quarter scorers in the league, can do his thing when it counts the most. He didn't do that great in the game just recently against the Atlanta Hawks where they got blown out in Milwaukee. It might have been because of the rendition of the Star Spangled Banner by the great William Jonathan Drayton Jr. You might know him better as Flavor Flav. Talk about him a little bit earlier in the podcast. But he went from 39 points in his debut to 6 points. It was the biggest drop-off between the first and second game of any debuting player in the history of the league as well. So... Ups and downs, still learning how to play with one another. And again, it's not guaranteed that you put two top 75 players of all time who both averaged over 30 points a game last season. You put them together and there's going to be automatic chemistry. With Chris Middleton still being day-to-day and then monitoring his health after a couple of surgeries. Some of those younger guys not really acclimating themselves in ways they need to around Dame and around Giannis because they're really focused on making sure those guys can do what they do. You can't just throw the ball out there and say, Giannis, go get me 40 Dame go get me 40. They could, but what about the rest of the guys who can't do that? But more opening week highlights point to the fact whether we're talking about Dame from Oakland or Giannis from Greece or Luka from Slovenia, there are 129 international players on NBA rosters this season from 40 countries, including 26 Canadians. And it really tells you about the quality of the basketball from around the world and players from around the world. And we'll see this number increased even more as you see a bunch of guys getting $300, $400 million contracts, $80 million a year for four years to play in the NBA, that 50% of the players in the league this year have also played in the G League. Never happened before. So the fine line between the haves and the have-nots, and let's be clear on the have-nots when I say this, because there are have-nots in the league that had some G League assignments that are making $10, $12, $15 million a year now. Let's talk about the number one rookie in the league right now, at least from a visibility standpoint, Victor Wembanyama, who in his debut at 15 points and two assists, eerily similar to that of the great Timothy Theodore Duncan in his debut in San Antonio. His debut was the highest rated opener since 2018. I wonder what happened to, oh, the hashtag, he shouldn't be named in L.A. 
But again, nobody's watching. Nobody cares. I'm also watching the movements, not only of Victor Wamanyama and also Chet Holmgren, who we'll get to in a second, but Derek Lively, highly recruited, highly ranked player that went to Duke, did his thing, high draft pick. They found somebody on the pick and roll. They can do high handoffs too. He can elevate above the rim and play defense. And he's looking really solid. A guy who could end up starting over Dwight Powell is better suited to come off the bench. No knock against Dwight Powell. Coming off the bench and making millions of dollars to play a game you love playing is no shame. And Dwight Powell just is not an NBA starter. He's just not. For a team that's going to win anything, no, he's not. But Derek Lively the second. And this story, if you know his backstory, pretty crazy. And his story will be amplified a little bit more as the season goes on here on the open run. Chet and Wimby. Ryan Antonio Henry and I talked about who's going to be Rookie of the Year. Between those two, Chet looked really great, at least in the beginning, in his first matchup against Nikola Jermaine. That's J-A-P-O-S-T-R-E-M-A-Y-N-E, Jokic, the Finals MVP. But Victor Weminyama, averaging 18 and 10. Chet, 14 and 10, but the, the blocks, block shots. I think he's leading the league in block shots right now. He had the game recently where he had seven blocks. So both of these guys are utilizing all their gifts, and they are just anomalies in this game. I talked about Yao earlier. You think about guys like Manute Bo, who had a singular skill set for the most part, blessed that, and how his son, Bobo, has a skill set but can't get off the bench. You look at guys that big that had the abilities, even Kristaps Porzingis, who we'll talk about a little bit later as well, or even Ralph Sampson, who was like one of those early prototypes who wanted to be a guard at 7'4". If his knees hadn't betrayed him, who knows? Because he was the force. Three-time National College Player of the Year. These guys are different. It's easy to say they're different. They have a skill set that you never see on a guy this big. At this level. So it's going to be something to watch those guys battle. They're in the same conference. In the same division. I'm looking forward to years and years of matchups between those guys. Who's not doing so well as I do the rookie watch here on the open run. Is my man... Scoot Henderson, the number two pick in the draft, who's going to have to pick up more responsibility as Anthony Simons, his running mate in the backcourt, is out for the next four to six weeks with a bad thumb. Scoot, 34% shooting. You spent two years in the G League to be ready for this moment. And physically, he looks ready for the moment. But he may be trying to do too much on a really trash team. Chauncey Billups might be pulling his hair out too bad he doesn't have any. But he's going to take his time with Scoot. Malcolm Brogdon is there to walk him through the paces. Let's see if he picks it up. No real rookie issues in Chicago right now. I don't think any of their pickups are playing that much. But in the first game, with Billy Donovan getting into a beef on the bench with Vucci Main, Nikola Vucevic, and then the players having a players-only meeting after one game? Unheard of. But shortly after that, DeMar Darnell DeRozan climbing up the scoring list, almost choked away a game against the Toronto Raptors, ended up winning in overtime. And then the very next game, Zach Levine gives you 51 points and zero assists and a loss to the Pistons. We haven't seen something like that where you had a high volume score with no assists since Clay Alexander Thompson scored 60 in 2018 with zero assists. But here to assist you in the power 10 is yours truly. And let's go through it real quick. The Denver Nuggets at number one, 3-0, looking like the world beaters that they will be because, again, they have the best starting five in the league. It's hard to dispute the continuity they have. It's going to take those young guys finding their way off the bench. I like this kid, Peyton Watson, from UCLA. I did not know he had the bungees he has. He blocked a couple of shots. I was like, wow. And Christian Brown going to do his thing as well. 
I called out Julian Strother, but I haven't seen him in a game yet. Maybe he's not doing a thing on the defensive end in practice, but he looked great in the preseason. And he's on the roster, so he's not being sent over to the Grand Rapids Gold yet. So we shall see. At number one, the Denver Nuggets. At number two, the Celtics. 3-6 Latvia. Kristaps Porzingis, the highest scoring debut in Celtic history. 30 points. Looking really good in that lineup. Joe Mazzula has them moving and grooving. And I like what Drew Randall Holiday brings to that squad. But let's not forget the very, very underrated but highly necessary stabilizer in that lineup. Derek White. The Celtics are a problem. And number three, and that could have moved those guys down a little bit because that big loss against Atlanta. But I didn't. The Bucks number three. The Warriors, number four, bringing back Draymond Green and also having Christopher Emmanuel Paul coming off the bench for the first time in his career and still being one of the top assist men in the league. I know it's early days, but he stabilizes that second unit and the Warriors are always going to be a problem as long as these guys are together and they're playing like this. And right now, I have them at number four. And number five, the Phoenix Suns. We haven't seen all the Suns, but KD is still shining. And shouts out to Kevin Wayne Durant for surpassing the great Hakeem Abdul Olajuwon for 12th on the all-time scoring list. They're at number five. And number six, Sacramento Kings. I think when people started doing their preseason rankings and said these are the top six teams in the Western Conference and they did not announce the Kings as such. Again, continuity has a lot to do with that. The Kings have an identity now. After they went through that battle in the playoffs of the Warriors, they've grown a lot. People have overlooked them. I'm not overlooking them on the Power 10 this week. They're at number six. And number seven, with a young man by the name of Anthony Leon Tucker Jr. You might know him better as P.J. Tucker, who said the G League is the worst thing that ever happened to the NBA. You know, he never played in. I get it. He played overseas with MVP in the Israeli League and also in the German League. But I don't get what his issue is with the G League. A lot of the guys on his team are G-leaguers, including Jaden Springer, who had a huge block in a game on Shaden Sharp against Portland. Everybody's going to beat that on Portland this year. At any rate, at number seven, the Philadelphia 76ers, Joel Hans and Bede, had a monster game against them as well, 35-15. and 15. But again, playing against DeAndre Ayton and Robert Williams, the third, who still looks injured to me. At number eight, the LA Lakers. I know that Colin Cowherd called... Anthony Davis, the McFlurry machine at McDonald's because it only works 50% of the time. But Anthony Davis is playing pretty well despite everything else. And then they play their cross-hallway rival, the LA Clippers. So we'll see how that works out for the Lakers and what Anthony Davis does to shake the moniker of the McFlurry machine at McDonald's. At number nine, the New Orleans Pelicans. Zion is healthy. They're up 2-0. People in New Orleans are happy. Let's see how long it lasts. At number 10, the L.A. Clippers, Russell Westbrook, being very efficient in the time he's on the court. They just look very happy. And again, continuity means a lot. When you have a healthy Kawhi and a healthy Paul George, and you have help off the bench now. Norman Powell looks like he wants to be the sixth man of the year. And Ivica Zubats might be the most important player on that squad. Not the best one. Most important because you need that big man in the middle. He has some degree of mobility. He makes his free throws. And depending upon who you end up facing in the playoffs, could be one of those guys, could be a difference maker right now at number 10, the L.A. Clippers. Before we get out of here, it is Halloween. Hallow's Eve. Hallow to the Dawn, my favorite battle rapper ever. And people get dressed up and celebrate this pagan holiday. And even though the Christian church is taking it on itself and try to dress it up a certain way. Are you dressing up for Halloween? I'm dressing up as the greatest character I ever knew. Me. 
so that's all good. If you were at a gas station somewhere and you saw the Ghostbusters van and the Mystery Machine for Scooby-Doo, you know what time it is. Well, it's about that time, and I, I always say this, that the greatest cartoon in history is Scooby-Doo. Do you want to know why? Because at the end of every episode, you find out that the monsters are real people. So, until next week, do remember, do what's popular with the population, make sure you don't get beat off the dribble, and keep listening to The Open Run with Will Strickland. Rich kid, my mellow, my man. I should dress up as rich and you should dress up as me. Do what you do when you do it, sir. Easy. Okay.